Father, thank you again for our time here tonight. Thank you that we have this privilege to open your word with freedom. We are not bound by law whereby we are unable to worship together. We thank you for that privilege. So, Lord, help us to take advantage of that privilege as much as possible, where we can study together, reason together, hear from your word and know your heart, your mind uh, for us as your children and for the world around us. So thank you for these things. Bless our time tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want us to begin tonight by uh, turning in our Bibles to John chapter 15. We are continuing our continued study through the Gospel of John, and we find ourselves in verses 18 through 27, the last section of John chapter 15, and uh, I want to begin tonight just by reading it for us. Jesus says this as he's with his disciples this night before his death, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have, been, they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. They have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled, that is, written in their law. They hated me without cause. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me, and you will bear witness also, because you have been with me from the beginning. There is a word that we find often in the scriptures concerning one of the foremost descriptions of what characterizes those who are true disciples of Jesus Christ. The word is witness. Witness. It's found some 207 times in the scriptures in the form of witness, which is found 152 times, or the word witnessed, which is found seven times, and then the remaining 48 times comes in the word witnesses. So witness, witnessed, or witnesses. And more times than not, the word is describing the characteristic of those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, those who are witnesses, or those who have witnessed, or those who are witnessing. For example, in John chapter 1, Verse 15, we see this word used in conjunction with the ministry of John the Baptist, in which it says in verse 15, John bore witness of him and cried out, 
saying. So the ministry of John the Baptist was one by which he bore a verbal witness and an active testimony concerning Jesus Christ. Again, in John chapter 1 and verse 32, John says this, And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. So being a witness is a, if not the, primary characteristic of those who are true disciples of Jesus Christ. It is a defining term, if you will, for those who are true Christians. Witnesses or witness comes from the word martyro. In the original language, it's where we get our word martyr. Martyr. And over time, the word martyr was used to describe what became somewhat normal for those who were witnesses concerning Jesus Christ. They became martyrs, martyro. They gave their very lives at the hands of angry mobs simply because they were doing what was characteristic of their very life. They were witnessing out of ministry of bearing a living testimony of who Christ was and what he had done in their life. Of course, we understand John the Baptist became a martyr. He was beheaded by Herod because of his stand for Christ, because of his claim for truth, because he pointed out to Herod that he shouldn't be doing what he was doing with his in-law. Christ was crucified because of his claims. When the church began after the day of Pentecost, it didn't take long for martyrdom to be seen. In fact, if you want to turn over just for a moment to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, the church is slowly beginning to grow. Christ, of course, has died on the cross. The, he has ascended into heaven. The apostles are now beginning to move across Asia Minor into Eastern Europe with the gospel. And the church is growing. And in Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, we see this reality happening. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid hands on them. And... The word of God kept spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So this is a, a movement of God upon people in reference to the gospel. The church is growing. The word of God is moving and lives are being changed. And verse 8 says these words, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. There's a lot going on here. There's a lot happening in the church. This is a movement of God upon the people in a big way. And then, without any fanfare, seemingly without any warning, the hatred for the witnesses comes out. And in verses 9 through 14, we read this. But some of the men 
from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Sicilia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. And yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses has handed down to us. Stephen is there at the beginning of the church witnessing for Christ, sharing about Jesus Christ. He's bearing testimony concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet hatred comes. It comes so hot, it comes so heavy, that the sermon that Stephen preaches in this chapter would be his last. One sermon. Why? Verse 54 tells us, verse, chapter 7 and verse 54, Stephen preaches a grand message about Jesus Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Verse 58, when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And of course, we know who was there with them. The Apostle Paul was standing right there. What a vile, godless hatred. Convicted by truth. The hearing of Jesus Christ, the hearing of the testimony concerning Jesus Christ and what he had accomplished and what he was accomplishing, that they must believe conviction by truth. Stephen became a marturo, a martyr. He was a witness for Christ and quickly was transformed and identified as a martyr. So now I'll go back to John chapter it's the final night before Jesus' death. It's before all of that happened in Acts chapter 6. It's the last time that Jesus will be physically with his earthly disciples until his return from the grave. The disciples are needing comfort. He knew their hearts would be stirred with emotion. And as we have seen through our study, in order to comfort their hearts, he demonstrated his love for them through his servant leadership. And he asked them in John chapter 13 that they ought to serve one another in the way that he was serving them. He set an example of service that all of us are to follow. His comfort comes to them in the form of promises that all disciples of Christ, including you and I, that we can cling to, in the easiest and in the most desperate of times, John chapter 14, we have a home secure with Christ in the heavenlies that no one can remove. 
We have a loving king who is coming back to get us, and he has not left us here as orphans. We have his spirit with us as he promised to give us, both as a guarantee of our inheritance with God in the heavenly realms and as the pledge of the Father that we are indeed his children. We have his spirit who leads us in the truth of God which is his word, the mind of God in written form so that we can live to his glory. Jesus Christ promises that the Father's desire is that we grow, that we bear not just some fruit, but that we bear much fruit. But we have to cling to the vine. We must not just be those who hear what he says. We must be those who abide in his word, that by it we might grow. And last time we learned about true friendship with Christ, that it comes through the example that he has set for friendship. It's seen through sacrifice, through single-mindedness, through support of one another. What a comfort it must have been for those who were there that night. What a comfort for those men who were with Jesus Christ on this evening before he's about to die. As time passed and they were continually reminded by the Spirit of Christ what Christ had done for them. But although their relationship to Christ and with one another would and should be characterized by love, The relationship with the world would be the exact opposite. Instead of love, it would be a relationship of hatred that they could now expect from the world. In spite of all that you and I have by way of the promises of Jesus Christ as Christians, in spite of all the glorious things that we get to revel in and find our joy in Christ here on this earth, in spite of all of those wonderful blessings that he has given us in this life before we return to glory, we must realize that we live in a world that is full of hatred. Full of hatred. And I believe that this is why Jesus spoke so often to Christians about loving one another. Because we... We live and walk as aliens among a hateful world. I mean, we see it every day. We we can just turn on the TV. We can open your phone. You can look at the news feed. You can look at the headlines. Hate is everywhere. We are not going to find the love of Christ from the world. True and fulfilling love comes only from those who have the love of Christ in them, in their hearts, poured out into their hearts by God and in our world, each of us needs to know personally, though our relationship is with Christ and practically through other Christians we know love, we need to understand that we live in a hostile world and hostility is inevitable. This is what Jesus is wanting his disciples to know. No Christian can avoid hostility in the world without compromising the truth. 
None of us can avoid the hostility that will come simply because we are known as Christians, known as followers of Jesus Christ, without compromising the truth. And tonight I want us to see in this passage four reasons why, as witnesses for Christ, we will be hated. Why, as witnesses for Christ, we will be hated. Four reasons. Reason number one is this. As disciples of Christ, we will be hated because we are out of this world. We are out of this world. Notice what he says in verses 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of of the world, therefore the world hates you. Disciples of Christ are out of this world. Six times the Apostle John uses the word hate in this text. And the first reason for it by the world is because those who have a relationship with Christ are not of this world. We have been called out of this world, Jesus says. I chose you out of this world. In fact, Jesus reminds us and he reminded his disciples that very night of this very fact. Back in verse 16, we notice, he says, you did not choose me, but I what? I chose you. You didn't choose me. It doesn't matter what it looked like by way of your coming into the family of God. It doesn't matter what it looked like by you saying, oh, I got an affinity for God and therefore I chose him and I followed him. That's not how you got into the family of God. You didn't choose God. He chose you. And because he chose you out of the world, the world hates you. The world hates you. You may not feel the hate. You may not sense it right now, but the world hates you. The world here is not necessarily the people that walk this earth. That's not what John necessarily is talking about here. It's not what Jesus is saying. It is not the planet on which we stand. What is meant here by Jesus in John chapter 15 by the word world is not so much the who and the where of the world, but rather the what. Of the world. It stands for the world system. I chose you out of that. I drew you from that. I took you out of, in the words of Paul in Colossians, out of the domain of darkness and transferred you into the domain of my son. The evil, sinful system that began with Satan himself and is now orchestrated by him through the agency of men. Satan is against Christ. He's against the people who belong to Christ. Satan is against you if you know Christ, if you're saved. His desire is to destroy the kingdom of Christ. And he is in control of the world system. He is, as Ephesians 2 said, the prince of the power of the air, the one who is working in the sons of disobedience. We were all part of that system. In which you all once walked, Paul says, Ephesians chapter 2. 
I'll just read it for us. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. This was our place. This is where we were, and yet we were chosen out. You see, that is the choosing you out of the world system. God, it says, being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2 says, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. That's the choosing out. God made you alive together with Christ and drew you out of the system because Christ took us out of the world system and out of the power and domain of the evil one. The world that is under its power hates us. I don't like to be hated, do you? I don't like to be hated, but I love Christ more. I love Christ more. The world cannot love us. It's impossible for the world to love us because we are not of it. You notice what he says? If you were of the world, verse 19, the world would love its own. The world cannot love us because we are not of the world. In other words, those who are of the world, those who are of the system of the world, those who are unsaved, those who do not know Christ, those who have not been chosen out of the world are incapable of loving others because they are so preoccupied with loving self. Without the change that only comes from God, this world will never love us. It's incapable. And therefore, it must hate us. There is no neutral ground. There is not, hey, we like you a little bit. There is simply a hatred for us. So this is reason number one. Jesus wants his disciples to know, listen, you need to understand this. You need to know by your attachment to me, by me choosing you out of the world, which is the best place for you to be, you need to understand something. The world's hated me. And because you're attached to me, it hates you. You are out of this world. Reason number two. Reason number two that we are hated by the world is because the world hates Christ. Verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me... They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. It's a sober reminder for us, isn't it? Even though in our flesh we might not want it to be so. If they hated Christ, why would it be any different for us? Easy words to hear. Easy words to think about, but not easy words to embrace. They hate Christ, they hate us. 
by way of Christ's example in chapter 13, where he was the servant, where he bowed down and washed the disciples' feet and was a servant of them, we are to love in that same way. We are to be like Christ. We are to love like Christ loves us. We are to willingly sacrifice ourselves for one another. And yet, the example of Christ does not stop there. It does not stop on the love side. We cannot expect what is good and leave the rest out. to stop looking for the places in our Bible where there might be perforations and we can rip out those hard passages and just skip over them. When Christ chose us, he chose every part of us. And he enveloped us in every part of him so that when the world sees us, they ought to see the godliness of Christ in us. And since they hated him, they hate us. That would be crushing, except for the joy that we have is not, is this, not all will hate. The world, its system, those in the system, they will hate us, but not all will hate. Some will listen and some will believe. Some will trust. In fact, you look around the room, look to your left, look to your right, and you see people who once hated you. They may not have expressed it in some kind of way, but they hated you because they were of the world. And now, joy of all joys, they do not hate you anymore. In fact, they're of your family because God chose them. Some listen and some will believe by God's grace. So the world, Jesus says to his disciples, the world's going to hate you guys because... You're out of this world. You're not of this world. You're not like them. You're not part of them anymore. You're, you, you're, they only love that which is their own. And the world's going to hate you, secondly, because you are attached to me. They hate me. They hate me. There's a third reason that Jesus gives here. Third reason. The third reason is this, because the world has no true understanding of God. The world hates us because we're out of this world. The world hates us because it hates Christ. And the world hates us because they have no true understanding of God at all. Verse 21 to 24, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. Because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have been both seen and hated me and my father as well. There is a tragic irony in these verses. The irony is that much of the hatred that is carried out upon those who are true disciples is carried out by those who all the while claim to be believers in God. Did you hear what I said? Much of the perpetuated hatred that is carried about upon those who are true disciples of Christ is carried out by those who profess to have a relationship with God. 
Look at verse 21. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake. For my name's sake. Literally, it reads this way. Literally, it reads this way in the original. But all these things they will do to you in the name of me. In the name of me. In other words, it will appear in their minds and in their actions that they are doing the work of not just God, but doing the work of Jesus Christ. And according to His will. The very fact that they are persecuting the true disciples is proof that they do not know the one who sent Christ. They do it because they do not know the one who sent me, Jesus says. They truly believe they are doing God's bidding. Reminiscent, is it not, of Matthew chapter 7. And the frightening words of Jesus as he's talking about those who are true and those who are not. Matthew chapter 7, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. So beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look like sheep. They try to sound like sheep. But they're wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not in your name cast out demons, in your name perform many miracles? And didn't we do all of these things under the name of you, in the name of Christ? I will declare to you, depart from me, I never knew you. I never knew you. truly believe they're doing God's bidding as they're persecuting the true disciples. This is what killed Christ. This is what killed Jesus Christ. We need not make any mistake about it. It was not the professed pagan community that hung Jesus Christ on the cross. It was certainly at the hands of the Romans. They were the instruments but it was the professed religious community that led him to the cross. It was the professed religious community that claimed to know God who sent him to his death. The Jews of Jesus' day prided themselves on what they thought to be a great knowledge of God. And in fact, they didn't know God at all. The proof, the proof of that fact was that they were convicted at every turn by both the words and the works 
of Christ. You see what Jesus says in verse 22 and 23? If I had not come and spoken to them, there's my words, if I hadn't come and spoken my words to them, they would, have, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I did not, hadn't done among them the works which no one else did, there's the works, the miracles, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. John's not declaring here through the words of Jesus Christ that these people were sinless people. Sinless before Christ spoke to them or sinless before what Christ did to them. No, he's not saying that at all. He's saying what Christ spoke and what Christ did simply exposed them in their full color, the sin that was always there. Jesus said, I spoke to you, you didn't follow me. I did these works, you didn't follow me. They are of the Father. You have no excuse for your sin. This is what man hates. Man hates the light. Why? Because the light exposes sin. Jesus had already said that back in John chapter 3. That man's problem is that he hates the light. John three nineteen, And this is the judgment. That the light is come into the world... And men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. Jesus is the light. I am the light. I am the bread. I am the door. I am the the shepherd. And yet Jesus is saying they're going to hate you guys because they hate me. This is the reality of John 3. Everyone who does evil hates the light. It doesn't come to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices truth comes to the light. Why? Not that he might be shown to be something righteous, but but that it might be shown that his deeds are manifested as having been produced by God. Jesus is saying in John chapter 15, if I had not come, mankind would not have ever acknowledged the guilt that they were guilty of because of sin. But I did come and I spoke truth and I did the works of my father which proved who I was, Jesus is saying. And the guilt of man was seen for what it was. And because men hated the light, they hated the exposure from the light. Man works to get rid of the light. That's exactly what they did with Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 8, 44, to the religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. You know what? They hated him for that. They hated him for exposing that about their heart. Jesus healed the blind man. He made him see, and the Jews hated him for it. Not only had they heard his word, but they had seen his miracles and both exposed their sin. Each were a testimony of who he was. Each of those things proved that he knew 
the Father, that he was from the Father. And it proved that they did not know God, even though they hated him in the name of their God. So Jesus says, listen, guys, you're going to be hated. Hated because you're out of this world. Hated because you're identified with me. Hated because the world doesn't understand God at all. Now there's a fourth reason. Fourth reason in this text that Jesus gives as to why we're hated so much in this world. And that is because God's word must be fulfilled. God's word must be fulfilled. Verse 25 to 27 But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. The hatred of Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of God's word. The hatred of us is the fulfillment of God's word. The Jews nor anyone else who has ever lived has any valid reason for rejecting Christ. No one. Doesn't matter what they say, doesn't matter how often they say it, doesn't matter how many times they try to convince themselves of why it should be logical for them to hate Jesus Christ or not to accept Jesus Christ. They have no logical reason for rejecting Christ. When it comes to a sinless life, Jesus Christ is the only one. When it comes to a perfect and continuous love, Jesus Christ is the only one. comes to saying what needed to be said at the perfect time, every time, without fail, Jesus Christ is the only one. It came to healing the sick, the making of the lame walk, causing the blind to see. Christ is the only one. When it came to raising the dead and every one of us being here as a witness and a testimony concerning the reality of the resurrection from the dead as God quickened us to new life, Jesus Christ is the only one. No one has reason to hate Christ. Someone could easily give a charge against us as a person. Someone could easily bring some kind of charge against us because we have done all kinds of things wrong, but not Christ. He was hated without cause. Without cause. And when we bear witness of him, we too are hated without cause. Why? Because it's the Spirit that bears witness of Him through us. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, verse 26, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness of me. The Spirit of God in us does one thing. He bears witness to Christ. That's what he does. He is a marturo for Christ. He is a witness for Jesus Christ. And he is a witness for Jesus Christ in us that we too, you will bear witness also 
We too are maturos for Christ. We have the same task. Live for Jesus Christ. We are maturos for Christ. And, in fact, it's not an option. It's a command. Notice he says, and you will bear witness. You will bear witness. That's the, that's the sense of the original language there. You will bear witness also. Why? Because you have been with me from the beginning. It's an interesting phraseology there. You've been with me from the beginning. Is the beginning the being that Jesus called these disciples? I think that's partly in that. But it's interesting that God tells us that he chose us before the what? Foundation of the world. There's a sense in which we've been with God from the beginning. Before the beginning ever began. He chose us before the foundation of the world. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I chose you out of this world. I chose you not only as my own, but I appointed you. Remember verse 16? I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's our job. That's our task. That's our command. And you will bear witness. You will bear witness. Because that's the Spirit's job to bear witness. The Spirit does one thing. He bears witness for Jesus Christ. And God has sent the Spirit to us, the Helper, the Spirit. And He bears witness of Christ. And therefore we bear witness of Christ. And because of our witness of Christ, they hate us. I think the NIV gets it right when it says in verse 27, and you also must testify, it says. You must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus is implying to them, it's not an option for you guys. You must do this. And the implication is, and I will ensure you do do that. It's who we are. It's why we are. What we are as Christians. This is why God chose us from the beginning. We are maturos, witnesses. Does that mean every time we're with anybody, we are sharing the gospel with them? Maybe not with words all the time. Maybe we should. Maybe we we feel conviction about that. Maybe we ought to speak more about that. We ought to know the gospel better. We ought to be able to say things better. We shouldn't be afraid of men. And yet at the same time, our life is a testimony for Christ. When we don't run with the same crowds we used to run with and they want to know why we don't run with them anymore, that's a testimony for Christ. Our life is a testimony for Christ. That's why God chose us. I think the first verses of chapter 16 kind of are good closing for our time tonight I just want to read these for us right we're going to be hated because we're out of this world we're going to be hated because they hated Christ we're going to be hated because the works and the words of Christ they don't want to do they're going to hate us even though they claim to know God 
And let these words rest on your heart. These things I have spoken to you that you may be kept from stumbling. In other words, it would be a surprise if they went out of this room this night and, and were hated and Christ didn't tell them that. This Jesus said, I told you these things so you'd keep from stumbling. They're going to make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. And these things they will do. Why? Because they have not known the Father or me. I think that's what held the martyrs of the 15 and 1600s to the stake. The reality that they knew that those who were killing them and saying they were doing it as a service to God did not know God at all. But these things I have spoken to you, verse 4, that when the hour comes and you remember that I told you of them, and these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you, Jesus said, I wanted you to know these things because these are going to keep you strong in the times when trouble is very, very hot. Very hot. So be encouraged. This is, this is how it is for those who truly know Jesus Christ. This is how it is. And we're in great company. We're in great company. Because if they hated Christ... They'll hate us also. Let's pray. Father, truth be known, we struggle. Struggle in our testimony for you. Struggle in our hearts to say the things we ought to say when we know we ought to say them. share with others the truth when we know we ought to share the truth. Far too often we fear men more than we fear you. Lord, you know our weaknesses. You have given us your spirit that we might have strength in those moments. Lord, may these words ring in our hearts. We don't know what our day and age and our time will yield by way of hatred to the church, and to us. We certainly are, the expressions of hatred are not as they could be, as we see in other places of the world, but they certainly are seemingly getting hotter. But Lord, we know that you're in charge of it all. We know that your name is glorified, and we know the reality is that they hate us because they hate you. We know this happens in families, it happens in towns and cities and countries, and many of them claim to know you. Father, but your word is true. Let every man be found a liar and your word be found true. It is true. That those who persecute, those who hate the true believer, hate because they do not know you. In our confusing day and age, in the confusing world where others will say otherwise, where the temptation of Satan will be to believe all the confusion, may we just believe what your word said.
Go there. Trust it. Stand on it. Hold to it. Never equivocate. Never compromise the truth. Even if it means our life. So thank you for these things. Cause them to be called to our remembrance in time of need. That your name would be glorified in it all. I pray in Christ's name.